A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mott. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by my company, Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. This is going to be a panel because while I clearly am not shy about talking, I want to give others in the community a voice too. It definitely shouldn't only come from me. We should be hearing from many different people doing this. If you want to participate in a panel, please do get in touch. You can go to datameshunderstanding.com to see some of the other free community-friendly programs and the other learning resources we have. And you can check out our actually quite reasonably priced offerings. So let's hear some fun music and then jump into a quickish summary of what you'll hear about in this panel. Building your data mesh roadmap. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? Guest host Eric Broda, an executive consultant in the financial services space and guest of episode 38, facilitated a discussion with Liz Calloway, a data governance expert in the financial services space and guest of episode 92, and Phil Radley, principal data and AI strategy consultant at ThoughtWorks. As per usual, all guests were only reflecting their own views. I want to, as I do with all the panels, share my key takeaways trying to reflect rather than trying to reflect the nuance of the panelist view. So I've got my top eight takeaways and then I've got, you know, 20 plus more in the show notes if people want. So number one, it's important to understand that when you decentralize, different aspects can and should move at different paces. Your roadmap needs to account for that, but it should also take advantage of that. Domains can go at their own pace, including ones looking to quickly drive towards significant data value. Number two, everyone's roadmap, by their inherent nature, will be unique based to the organization's context. Trying to copy-paste from another organization will end badly. That said, there are some pretty core capabilities that all mesh roadmaps should have. Look to those capabilities rather than copying the roadmap itself. Number three, a roadmap should point you towards your target endpoint. Of course, with data mesh, there isn't exactly really an endpoint. You don't stop evolving, much like with microservices. But the idea is the same. How do you want the organization to operate relative to data production and sharing? Is that your North Star to guide you? Number four, your roadmap really should have time built in for socialization. If you don't, then there is no real extra collaboration or communication between teams. Everyone executes on what they expect is needed or believe is needed. 
you optimize at the micro level, not at the macro, not at the kind of communication tier. It's crucial to human cognition to not only be doing, but thinking and relating to other people. That's how you can drive sustainable change management. I think this one's really important that so many people overlook how important it is to just keep each other in the loop and keep those lines of communication going and that you should actually build time in for that to show people how important it is. Number five, be very clear on your value propositions for data mesh for your data mesh journey, but don't try to get your budget and set your value proposition as this super long-term delivery of value. Look to incremental value delivery and find value propositions for that incremental work. Don't try and get that, you know, three year down the road type of project that we've been having with data instead of, hey, we've got this new approach that we're going to try for this use case, right? Basically deliver value along the way and don't tie your budget and value to something that is this massive backend loaded value delivery three years down the road. Number six, for data mesh, absolutely be prepared to make compromises on when you plan to deliver capabilities. If you aren't prepared to make compromises, you unequivocally, this is again my view, but if you aren't prepared to make compromises, just like if you aren't prepared to have things go wrong and be wrong, you unequivocally are not ready for data mesh. Number seven, focus more on business capabilities over purely underlying technical capabilities in your platform roadmap. The tech is the most tangible part, but it's also not the thing that really ends up driving value or being overly important to most users. And finally, number eight of my key points, governance might actually be the most crucial aspect to your roadmap. If you don't map out when your planned capabilities around governance, you don't really know when you'll be able to tackle certain types of use cases. And it's also very easy to leave off crucial governance issues to later that will hurt you as you try to scale likely something like policy as code, data product blueprints, and interoperability standards. So really think about where you want to start working on certain aspects of governance. Okay, with that summary of my top takeaways, and you can see the show notes for more takeaways if you'd like, but let's go ahead and actually hear from our awesome panelists themselves. Folks, welcome to Data Mesh Radio Podcast. Uh, we have a panel today. We're going to be talking about building your data mesh roadmap. So let's get started. Today, it's 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 pretty darn clear that data really is the foundation and fuel of the modern enterprise. It powers business decisions, improves operations, creates innovations, and enables outstanding customer outcomes. And as we know, with Data Mesh, it's a modern approach helps us drive these outcomes uh, more effectively and efficiently. 
it advocates for a number of principles. We're not going to go through those principles today. I think as an interested uh, community here, you probably have heard a lot about those. Um, uh, but what we do want to do is figure out how to turn those principles into practice. So what does that really mean? Well, obviously, it has something to do with architecture. Uh, it has something to do with organizational change. Uh, and, and it has something to do with identifying your data products, um, your data product owners, your data product sponsors. Again, all these things are part of turning principles into practice. Um, uh, but really, when you think about your, your data mesh journey, it's, it's really a long one. And with any journey, you need a roadmap. So today, what we want to do is talk about how to create your enterprise data mesh roadmap. We want to talk about where do you start? How do I grow? What's the foundation that needs in place needs to be in place to allow your enterprise data mesh to flourish? And that's where our discussion is going to go today. Uh, we're going to try and provide some insights based on real world experience from our panel members. Each is an experienced practitioner that I would like to now introduce. So, uh, Philip, tell us a little bit about yourself. What you do for a living? Hi, Eric. Hi, everybody. Yeah. So my name's Phil Radley. I'm a data strategy principal. Uh, with ThoughtWorks UK, um, working out of our uh, what's known as our data service line. A um, bit about my background. So uh, I've been doing IT in multi decades. So I started off um, 35 ish years ago uh, with what was then called uh, British Telecom. It's changed its brand a few times, but um, I spent the last 10 years of that uh, as Group Chief Data Architect. So I took them through the whole. Um, uh, big data program and then off into the cloud. So um, B2B, B2C, the whole kind of gamut of telco. Um, and I was having such fun with data uh, after that that I uh, took a change in vertical um, 2019 and I joined AstraZeneca. So some of you probably know the big pharma company. I wanted to uh, challenge myself to learn something new. So I was um, the domain architect for R&D. So I worked with all of the uh, scientists on drug discovery, clinical trials, that kind of stuff. And we started doing um, data mesh there. And uh, after a little while, I thought, hang on a minute, data mesh, ThoughtWorks, which I'm acting on. So two years ago, uh, I joined ThoughtWorks and uh, I'm there as a principal data consultant helping uh, shape data strategy and um particularly early nowadays data mesh journeys. So that's me. Fantastic, Phil. Obviously, you're going to have some tremendous insights and uh, glad to have you on board. Liz, tell us about yourself. What do you do for a living, my dear? So hi, everybody. Liz Calloway. I'm a director of finance data products, um, but have been in the industry in and amongst uh, both as a consultant in previous years and other financial institutions for more years than I'd care to count at this moment in time. Um, but so I'm, I'm here uh, bringing a little bit of a uh, industry, not, sorry, not industry, but you know, the in, in internal versus the consultant uh, view and lens on how to, how to make this happen. Um, very excited to, to have these conversations and partner with consultants on how, how to help people get off the ground with their journey. Fantastic, Liz. Absolutely thrilled to have you here. As for me, my name is Eric Broda. I'm the president of Broda Group Software. We're a boutique consulting company focused on accelerating financial firms' uh, enterprise data mesh journey, and I have the pleasure of uh, hosting this panel for today. Now, real quickly, on an administrative note, uh, each of the panel members here are speaking on their own behalf and not necessarily for their employees or clients. 
So why don't, uh, with the introductions done, why don't we actually get started? So uh, let's actually start relatively simple sessions about creating your data mesh roadmap. Uh, what is a roadmap? Uh, Philip, why don't we start with you? We'll put you on the spot first. <laughs> yeah. So um, it really, you know, we look at the, the starting position, where we are today in terms of our capabilities and infrastructure, um, and then kind of figure out uh, where we want to get to in terms of um, a vision or a, an endpoint, and probably – I guess the difference, you know, with a roadmap and a plan. Yeah, you know, with a with a roadmap, you're probably never going to get to that endpoint. It, it's really a north star that guides you. Um, and so, the really important thing is, what is the general direction we're going? So everybody's aligned around that common vision. And then, particularly, what is the next step we're going to take to deliver some value? So, uh, to me, that's that roadmap is a vision that we all buy into, and then. You know, and, and if you can do a sequence of steps, that's fantastic. But, you know, we're big, obviously, ThoughtWorks, big fans of Agile. So we just like to do the next step and do a little bit of value first and then just kind of iterate from there. So that, to me, when I say roadmap, you know, big vision, first step. There you go. We're done. Liz, I mean, obviously, uh, Phil mentioned a few things that resonate quite well with me. The the, the North Star is a, is a beautiful analogy and the vision what uh, what is a roadmap to you, and how does that compare to what Phil mentioned? So I I really liked what Phil mentioned, and I, I think the thing that I would add on to that is 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 picking that one thing and trying to execute upon that using that agile mentality of the fail fast. I think too often companies um, find themselves in that. Uh, paralysis of analysis where they they want to get it perfect because they recognize that they're investing a lot of time talent and treasure the three t's as as i refer to them into this and they want they don't want to be wrong but at the same time um they spend they if they're not careful they're spending too too long to be right to actually then be successful and then you end up with frustrations because you haven't you're not you've not gotten not gotten off the starting line and so uh, you know, I, I really agree and and uh, agree with Phil on that of of getting that fail fast, trying get something that keeps you moving forward and trying to to deliver on something and and prove it right or wrong. You have your north star, you get your guiding principles, and then you kind of just get going. Absolutely, absolutely. I, lo I love the idea of uh, blending in the agile approach for for data mesh. I think from my experience, that's been an absolute key to success. There is no big bang, uh, as it were. Um, and, and definitely, Liz, to your point, uh, you, don't, you don't want perfection to be the enemy of good enough, or more specifically about, you know, don't let perfection be the enemy of starting something <laughs> and yeah. then taking your first step forward. Now, now when I think of, uh, you know, the, 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 my experience with roadmaps, I come back to one of uh, Zamak Degani's key phrases, which I really liked, she called data mesh a socio-technical approach. So when you think about that, kind of, uh, Liz, maybe for you, unpack that a bit. And what are the implications for, for uh, a roadmap? I'm going to have to – let me punt to Phil while I think on that one. All right, no, absolutely. I'm, I'm happy. You, you gather your thoughts on that one. So, yeah, socio-technical. I um, uh, it's And it's ever such an interesting word uh, or phrase. Um because you know it kind of what does that mean and and really um 
I think the the key key aspect to that which um, comes out is that it's a recognition of the um, the power of Conway's law. Hopefully, folks are familiar with that. That you know any any organization that designs systems um, tends to produce systems that uh, you know whose structure reflects the organization of that system and so if you have a big centralized um system so if socio-technical organization is centralized monolithic in terms of technical terms then you tend to end up with this this big uh um monolithic and monolithic things like super tank it's kind of hard to maneuver and be agile with and so um with the with the data mesh approach so they're trying to decentralize uh, go for that federated approach, and so that then allows the different domains using DDD to terminology to to move at different speeds. Some will go fast, some will go slow, um, but they go at a speed that suits their business need. And that's really, to me, you know, when we unpack that socio technical thing, uh, it's all about that inescapable power of Conway's law and figuring out, okay, so maybe we need to touch the socio or the organizational aspect of the organization. Um, and we spend you know quite a lot of time in planning roadmaps of thinking and, and also it's about um, not going too far and being too ambitious but being realistic and saying well actually maybe we need to start small here and and work in one one departmental team or maybe work in the platform area of the central technology team um, and figure out okay what's this, the sensible step there in terms of that socio-technical aspect of the approach so do you want to chime in yeah, Liz, uh, tell tell me what you think about that. Obviously, there's there's some. If I were to unpack it a little bit, organizational elements and some technical elements. Uh, is it, tell me what you thought about Phil's comments. So I I think I'm in a slightly different uh, lens with regards to um, as I as I mentioned for me personally, I sit in a finance area within the the cor- within the corporate structure, which means we're kind of we often joke we're at the tail end of the data, if you will, you know, we're, and so in my career, I've often said to people, follow the data, follow the data, see where it starts, follow it through, see where it lands at the end. And so from an organizational construct, I could, I could, I, I like this idea because it, it, we can start to mirror those principles while we're kind of doing that little bits at a time and helping to deliver, but also having that, that use case to measure the success, which our executives tend to tend to lean towards of, of making sure that, you know, again, that we can measure that, that ability to, to, to achieve something as we're, as we're progressing. And so I like that idea of, of marrying it to how you're organizationally aligned, but that means that if your organization is in the process of going through transformations on how they're organizing that can end up being a little bit of an additional challenge, but it does empower further over time and strengthen the interactions. But you've also got to get those um, crisped up, I think, a little bit more quickly. Absolutely. Now let, let's let's drill down into so so what I'm hearing, which I strongly agree with, by the way, is there's, there's kind of two broad themes within your roadmap. There's the, the technical side. Uh, we'll probably all start from that side, but we, we definitely don't want to forget about the organizational part. I think, uh, you know, Conway's law, I'm, I'm near and dear to my heart. 
Uh, I've run smack dab into the the Conway's Law wall uh, a few times early in my career, uh, but it's definitely part. Of where I, I want to talk, hold that thought though for a little bit. A lot of the audience is, is perhaps a little bit uh, more on the technical side, so let, let's start on the technical aspects of your roadmap. So, 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 Philip, maybe we'll start with you. Um, what goes into the technical part of your roadmap? What do you, what is, what should our listeners actually think about? Um, you know, as tasks perhaps, or phases, or streams that they should be thinking about as they they lay out their enterprise data mesh roadmap on the technical side. Yeah, so um, obviously the um, the technical aspects, and we're looking at primarily the data platform capabilities. So um, you know, most most folks nowadays are probably one or more, maybe multiple data warehouses and and departmental data lakes, and and there's kind of quite a uh, smorgasbord out there, if you will, uh, of different technical capabilities and. Um, we're going to have to look at the evolution of those because, um, you know, in a data mesh world, we're starting to build data products with our data platform. And so really start to go, okay, does the technology support this new job role? And do we have um, uh, ways of engaging with the data product? So we can say, okay, let's create a data product. Um, can Can somebody in a business domain uh, use the data platform in a self-service way to create themselves a data product. Um, and if you do that, is it being done in a governance way? And are we using the federated computational governance? So that is to say that when we create a data product, is it in the catalog? Do we have uh, ownership of it? Do we know how it fits in at a semantic type level, perhaps with other data products, so you can navigate your mesh semantically? So there's a pretty broad set of um, capabilities that uh, you need to build in technologically. Um, and you don't have to do them all at once. You can you can start in a particular area. So you know an area that I like. I come from a, an information architecture background, so semantics, and uh, I do love a good business glossary. And 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 nowadays, increasingly building that into a knowledge graph, so that um, as we add data products in, we know how they all fit together, what they are. Um, you know, love sorting out. Okay, what do we mean by customer? And therefore, okay, ah, uh, that's a that. It's a slightly different definition to that definition, and that's okay. In a domain-driven world, we just need to know our context. But our data platform needs to provide, um, you know, those capabilities, and in, in um, and and with a platform team that is offering those services um, uh, to the domain folks um, in a way that means that they're not getting dragged into the detail, but they're they're offering up data product centric uh, capabilities. So that, to me, from a sort of technology point of view. Um, and that's a great way of talking about technology without talking about any specific technology because um, I think another thing in terms of an architect, a long-time architect background, I hate to make a decision as to go, oh, well, we should use this database or this should be an object store or this should be streaming. Um, I really want to defer that as late as possible so that I can change my mind if I think I'm, I want to move direction. Suddenly, somebody comes along with a business requirement and says, oh, no, the latency on that output you know, has to be sub five minutes. And you go, oh, okay, well, maybe we should uh, build some streaming capability. So um, it's and, – and it's very – I know I deal with a lot of clients that gets they get very frustrated because people that build data platforms and data engineers 
want to get into specifics real quick. You know, they want to know, okay, well, so on this cloud infrastructure, we're going to use these managed services and, and, and we're going to have these tiers and it's going to look like that. And you go, okay, but what does that mean to me if I'm building data products? How do, how do I engage with it? Do I still, have I still got to go to your front door and ask for a project form or can I actually get in there and start building a data product myself? And that's, you know, that, that's a pretty rich set of technology that, um, uh, you need to kind of build in that in that move towards a, a data mesh type architecture. So, so Liz, for for our readers, maybe building upon what uh, Phil had mentioned, what what is the, the typical things that somebody ought to be thinking about? You know, data mesh foundational elements or the self serve platform. What are the things that, that from your experience, you, you kind of need to think and, and incorporate in your roadmap? So I think that's where the governance aspect really starts to play a strong part. Um, and and again, t- t- you know, going back to the comment that we had said of trying to match your organization to your delivery, if you're going to be a very federated organization, you have to have a very strong federated governance. Um, and that transparency and those those dialogues open to across the different teams and areas so that... but with those guardrails and guidelines of of how we would want to operate, give everybody the freedom to operate within those, but give that solid foundation of, of what, you know, we, uh, a, a former colleague called it, what does good look like? How do we want to formulate everything in a way that we can, to your other comment earlier, self-serve, what are, what are the points that must be done can be done, you know, everybody has has that opportunity and desire to to achieve North Star, but, you know, we need to have better than the minimum viable product, but a, something that is a good. And it needs to be at that governance level so that we're all operating in that same way so that our communications are consistent, there's no ambiguity, so that, to, to Phil's point, as, as people are going off and working independently, they can all connect back again at the end. So for me, it would definitely be the governance side of it. Perfect. Perfect. That's a very good point, Liz. Um, I want to come back to something that uh, both you and Phil uh, actually mentioned earlier. And, and you've used, you know, Phil used the word North Star, uh, used uh, the word value proposition and use case. So, so let's talk a little bit about the overall context for your your data mesh. I mean, nobody's going to give you millions of dollars to go build a data mesh unless you have some compelling reason to do it. So so tell me a little bit about how you uh, arrive at a value proposition to use, I think, your terminology, Liz. We'll start with you. How do you arrive at that value proposition? So I got this great idea. I got data mesh and everybody's really excited. And, and we've kind of talked a little bit around the edges around what it, you know, how we may go about doing it. But somebody then says, hey, uh, why are we doing it? How do we how do we capture that? Uh, how have you captured it, and how, how how would you recommend to our listeners we put that into our roadmap? Yeah, so uh, great question. Now, I will admit I'm a little bit biased. I've been in the financial services industry almost my entire life, either directly or indirectly as a consultant, and so we do tend to have a lot of regulatory <clears throat> type aspects to it that oftentimes will dictate the need, um, and so. So that becomes your your first and your foremost is, is are there any any drivers maybe external to your organization that are 
requiring or enforcing some sort of behavior and the proof of that. And I think we've all seen that a lot in, you know, has continues to evolve and continues to get deeper and better over, over the years around that expectation of your governance and everything like that. And this data mesh affords us that balance of meeting those needs, but also in an, in a flexible way that we can reuse, 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 which is another key, key thing in my mind around the success of data mesh. Um, And so for, like I said, I'm a bit biased. Financial services does tend to have a lot more regulatory, which makes it a little bit easier with regards to, you know, those justifications of, of how you might want to put together a business case. But if you were absent of that, you know, again, we are in a, um, society now that is very much so interested in uh, instant gratification, especially when it comes to data. And so there's a lot of opportunity with this to be able to start saying, I can, we can do better. We can bring in the data scientists and make it more available to them. And, and perhaps, perhaps there are those questions that we've never been able to ask or get to asking, and these would afford that. And so I would probably probably apply that lens to it in a non-financial services uh, lens, uh, arena, excuse me. Perfect, Liz. So Philip, you're from a telecom background. Tell me how the telecom folks do this. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's always about finding the the business value in terms of getting engaged. And I think, you know, the, the data mesh approach has, Similar resonances to me, um, you know, for those who've been these, through these paradigm shifts, and, and and I remember when we went through the big data one, is is that at the beginning of everybody says we want to do big data, and so at the beginning of data mesh, everybody says we want to do a data mesh project, it's like, and and then you have to get to a light bulb moment. You say, Actually, we're not doing a data mesh project, folks. What we're doing here is we're improving customer experience because that's what the business is about, or you know, we are going to improve the call center hold time um, in um, uh, in our call centers from 40 minutes to four minutes because at the moment it's a terrible customer experience, whatever it is. And we're going to use data um, to drive that transformation. Um, and so you need to get into somehow um, align what you're doing from a data strategy point of view with the business get into those strategic you know planning cycles to figure out where do they want to do so you know is it a customer experience example Um, and then from that you say okay so if that's what you want to do what do i need to do in terms of a data product so in this say in that call center example which is one i've worked with where we said, actually, we can get the data we need out of the network. It's there. We, we just aren't surfacing it to the agent. So it then becomes a question of what's the data product we need to build, which is basically collecting data from devices in people's homes, so residential gateways or home hubs, and then serving that to the call center agent in a context-sensitive way in, in a in low enough latency to make sense to do it on a phone call. So, you know, sub one or two minutes um, and and then serve that up. And then suddenly you're using data to help drive a business process. The agent can make decisions or, you know, in our case, it was very easy to differentiate between a hard fault that you can see that in the network and you go, that's broken. I will send you a new device. I will call out an engineer. 
Um, and, and those calls you can, you know, a proportion of calls you can close down super quick. And in other cases, it's like, oh, actually, this is much harder. And those ones where you are going to spend some more time. But but overall, you're radically improving throughput. And so it's that whole thing about was the business initiative poor customer experience or maybe, you know, product bundling is another one. What good bundles can you recommend to put together? And then how do you drive that decisioning process with data? And therefore, then what does that mean in terms of engineering at the back, back end? What data products we need? What domains it's in? Maybe you have to bring a data product that's aggregating some network data with some marketing data or some service data and kind of bring that together. And that that's the kind of getting to value quickly. And then once you've got that value prop, then it's just a matter of getting the spanners out and building. So, Absolutely. The thing I really liked about what you mentioned, uh, Phil, is uh, in the value proposition for data mesh, you actually didn't talk about data mesh. Uh, which is which is exactly you know the the example I have uh, in my experience when I've done this. Um, uh, we had a, a particular it was for a, a global financial services firm, and uh, we had a particular problem trying to get into a new market. And uh, we actually behind the scenes we we knew data was a core piece of the puzzle, and we saw this modern architecture from Zamac, and we knew that was of the answer but when we actually talked to the business we talked in their language we talked about the problem they wanted to solve in this case was getting a new product into market and what we said in effect is is first off we understand that problem but we think we can get you there faster better cheaper as it were if we use a modern approach um but let's start small and let's test and learn but talk about the business value proposition was actually the core to our success so, um, so, so, so now we kind of understand a little bit of what goes into our roadmap. How do we go about creating it? Is there, is there, Phil, we'll start with you. Is there a strategy that bootstraps our journey? Uh, if yes, what's in it? How long does it take? What are the outcomes? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, um, so this is the bit where, you know, everybody's journey around the course, as it were, is, um, is unique and that we have to, Build a, a route that plans um, a route plan that matches the organization's current context. Um, I do think that uh, you're going to have to um, touch all of the aspects of, of the principles within uh, data mesh. You, you, you know, there's no cutting corners, but you don't have to do them all at once. Um, and you, you find out where's the value. Um, so then maybe in that previous example, there was one around sort of latency and, and, and surfacing data that already existed but was unused. And so um, you can build that. It says, okay, we need some engineering capability. Um, but I don't, we don't need to build the whole self-service capability. So perhaps sometimes, and we do, we do this with, with some clients, where the first set of data products we build um, – aren't built through a self-service data platform. We actually have to assemble them using components and technology. But once that allows us to explain the concept of what a data product developer is, what are the things, the primitives they need, they need to, some storage capability or the ability to create a Kafka topic and so forth, and, and, and they don't want to have to call the APIs to put it in the catalog when they call the high-level data product API, they want all of that taken care of. So... Um, so that's that kind of roadmap in terms of um, building a, um, a different route around it. We, you, you can 
in, if it's to do with uh, you know the data governance, Liz, as you were saying, you know, it's like okay, well, let's start there. Let's maybe let's focus on on building capability around the catalog. Do we understand? That, that business around semantics, do we have a good glossary? Are we, are we have a good tagging system so people understand different data products? Um, um, are they all appropriately tagged? Obviously, banking and honors, you're saying a lot of finance, um, personal data involved. So you have to make sure you have really strong uh, classification regimes and understanding what you're doing with the process. So, so the, um, I'm, I'm dodging your question a little bit, Eric. There, in terms of exact roadmaps, but uh, that those are that's one example. Um, the the other one, you know, the one that we love, obviously, as consultants, is um, is the kind of big strategic one where um, quite often you get a new CDAO or um, a data officer, and it's time for a transformation. Maybe a business has been struggling with data for a while, and in that case, we can build a big transformational roadmap. Obviously, that's more investment in terms of time management overhead, um, but you don't have to do that. You know that that's if if, if the if the time is right for that transformation, then uh, it's fantastic. But you can also start small and and take you know um, incremental steps and those delivering little pieces of value in a particular business unit. Yeah, absolutely, Phil. So, Liz, you you you've started the day, the the data mesh journey at your firm. Uh, how did you start? What was was there a strategy starting point? How did you how did you kick off the journey? So, actually, before I answer that, I wanted to kind of go back on to some of Phil's comments. I think one of the things that's really important, and it dovetails into the question that you just asked me, is is the starting point of everything for this and for a company to start their journey. I think is going to be different for everyone. And, and Phil tried to started to touch on that. I, I wanted to kind of drill into that a little bit more. The, there's a lot of, there's a variety of different reasons why a company might be at different points. And I think that some of what really to get someone started on their journey, the first thing that they need to do is actually kind of do a kind of a, a gut check and an assessment on where they are within their journey. If they have a very robust governance process already, that's going to ease their ability to deliver um, from one aspect. If they're if they're still growing in and maturing within their governance, that's something they're going to want to kind of tap into perhaps a little bit more because that will help to guide and empower that self-service uh, aspect as they move along. And so, you know, to answer your question of what, you know, how we started that is some of the things that um, that we're seeing here. We had uh, we're seeing you know a strong influence and a strong push in both governance and the the physical infrastructure and the physical build. And it's because they do have a you know a lot. They're 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 the very tight coupling. I wanted to say push pull, but it doesn't quite work that way. But there is there there can and should while being run in parallel, there is a coupling to those. And you're going to find that things are going to be easier on one side versus the other of, of those two sides, depending on where they are in their, their individual maturation journey. And so, you know, that the very first thing that I would encourage anybody to do is do an assessment on where they feel they are and be real with yourselves. Like there, no one's judging you. But be real with where we, where a company feels they are on that journey of of governance and and data as a as an asset, 
And those will help to really drive how what their next steps would be. Absolutely. I, I like the idea that you mentioned, which is, you know, first off, obviously every company is different, but accommodating uh, your current situation and, and some of the organizational dynamics, um, you know, in my experience, um, I've done it kind of both ways where uh, the traditional, Phil, Phil would know this, the traditional consulting approach where we start with a strategy, uh, eight to 10 weeks. Uh, and I've also done it where we, where we do it, uh, I, I hesitate to call it agile, it's almost always agile, but, but a more test and learn approach where, mm-hmm. where we recognize this stuff, but for a limited, very limited budget, very limited time, uh, we jump in feet first and we actually build a data product to test and learn to see what actually works. Um, so, so I've seen it successful in, in both. Um, but let, let's just say we actually, you know, our, our strategy or our momentum, our sponsorship is, has worked. Um, what does our roadmap say next? How do we kickstart our journey? Philip, why don't we start with you? So we got our strategy. Let's just say we do the traditional consulting approach or our test and learn phase has worked. Um, what do we do next? What does our roadmap say about doing next? So I, I think um, obviously it's going to depend on, on where we're, we're at in terms of the, the principles we wanted to cover off first in terms of the, the data platform one. I think um, probably for, for me the most common thing looking across you know a dozen or so clients would be, um, it, and it goes back to that core issue in, in terms of the book um, that Jamak kind of um, uh, uh, authored off in terms of the experiences in the early days um, of data mesh was that actually a lot of a lot of existing engine data analytics functions are, are not that efficient or um, they are trying to stem a, a, you know an infinite amount of demand with a finite amount of resource so um, you, you're trying to figure out how is it we can help this very heavily stressed team um build new capability uh, and quite often you know that piece that you were saying uh, eric in terms of doing that first data product so in a traditional uh, team you, you know typically they'd say okay well we've got to ingest some more data we've got to build a pipeline and then we're going to kind of surface it to the table you say okay that might be what you think you're doing but actually let's Think of it and role play almost a different thing is that this person is going to be doing more of the, the self submit the data infrastructure piece. So he's going to write a set of APIs or some tooling to help create the input bucket, the input port, create the um, Spark job that does the processing. Um, and, 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 and so he was going to provide you a create bucket and a create cluster type primitive. And the other person is going to consume that. And so we're going to start between just with the you know, within a small team or possibly two pizza teams, we're going to start to make a microcosm of that data mesh. Uh, and we're going to build that first data product, as you, as you said, Eric, you know, we're going to, uh, and hopefully that'll be linked to the value. So we know what, um, uh, we know what value we're delivering because we're linked through to one of the business uh, domain leads. And so we're building out the, the beginnings of that process. And it may be that that's all throwaway. Um, it depends on how small it is. Uh, it should be, if it is going to be throwaway, it needs to be quick. But there's a, it's almost like a training exercise because then when we have the exemplar, we can go, okay, so ah, that's what a data product is. I didn't realize. I thought it was a table or something else. And so, but it's that learning through doing exercise 
whereby, okay, you've, you've built some data infrastructure. Oh, okay, so that guy, was he was acting like the self-service data platform, and this person was doing more of the data product development. Um, you don't have to change their job titles, or anything, you just have to kind of think and change your mindset. And then that provides you this knowledge base, which you can share, you can do showcases and explain to other teams and other domains. This is what we mean by data mesh uh, within our context. And so, so that's a good way. Yeah, Liz, what's your perspective? Um, I like that. I like the way that Phil put it. Um, you know, too often, yeah, we, we wait for perfect. And so the, the sooner we can kind of, and I know no one likes pilots either, but you know, you've, you've got to have that R and D type possibility and be, be prepared and be willing for it to be throwaway because it is a test and learn. Um, and, and I think because of each institution's uniqueness, that's that's the best way that I would advocate going about it to ensure that it's what's right for uh, for that organization. I and mean, every every organization has their own dynamics and how how they want to do things. and And in some in- instances, it is going to be breaking the mold from what their their traditional development methodology and mentality has been. And and you know, I've, I've seen that more and more um, as we kind of, especially with Agile, wanting to empower individuals differently and in better uses of their time, in which case then you do want to keep, I would, sorry, I would absolutely encourage for that, that type of, you know, quick hit, execute on, and then, and then retrospective, and then either it worked or it didn't work. And if it worked, keep going. If it didn't work, you haven't lost too much time. Go back to the drawing board, try again kind of thing. Um, but being smart about maybe which topic you try to atta- attack first. And maybe maybe because it is a highly, uh, either a highly uh, in-focus type construct, or maybe, it, or the re- converse could also be true. It's something that is fairly, small and stable and hasn't undergone a lot of changes so that they can celebrate that success early on. Um, one of the things that we talk about here a lot at our institution is is leading with empathy. And it is definitely something I wanted to touch on throughout this conversation today. And it's, you know, making sure that we're 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 working through these things within with that balance of how is it how how are we doing it as a partnering kind of kind of opportunity. And so if we do these test and learn, you know, type type solutions, we can do them in a manner that we're partnering with everybody across the organization, or at least maybe not across the entirety, but including everybody, but including those areas, so that we are ensuring that we are delivering in a manner that is sustainable, is is um manageable and can can achieve a, a high likelihood of success with that solid you know buy-in from every aspect of the team that's involved yeah absolutely i love that uh, i want to come back to something you mentioned liz the the breaking the mold um things that we you know data mesh has a set of principles that may be uh not well recognized nor established within uh, uh an organization 
Um, so what that really means, though, is I think the, the very first data product that you actually get out there is, is kind of a momentous event in, in some respects. Um, if you think about it, you, you got your first sponsor. You identified your first value proposition. You got your first data product owner, and probably that implies you've at least test-driven the the new roles and responsibilities and the boundaries around those. Um, and, and you you actually now have the first opportunity to sell the fact that you did something and socialize it and start to build some some momentum. So, so Philip, now when you think about uh, your journey. How do you leverage that momentous event, that very first one, and how do you how do you position that as kind of the catalyst for for growing and nurturing your 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 data mesh? It, um, it'll um, it'll depend a bit on the context in terms of where where you um, are at in terms of that, that roadmap and those steps. Um, it, it may be if we're working within uh, within a kind of a data and analytics function that we are iterating with the head of that function, VP of, of data analytics to go, okay, so now you understand what we mean by data product. You've seen what's involved in, in how that can be built and the types of roles. And you can then start to build a scale up thing and say, okay, what happens if we were to do that with two domains? We're going to do that with um, service as well as sales. Um, and kind of start to build a repeatable process, and then you're on a transformation journey, uh, and so you're working that. But the other one is is that if you're then if you're more outward facing into business domains, and you you've you've done that first data product with with say with marketing. Um, um, to give one example, where we we did a a, a low latency feed of new client acquisitions of a, of a web portal, um, and uh, they wanted to showcase that and the target we're saying well actually rather than do just as like a showcase event let's put ticker screens in the staff canteens a global organization um and uh we we just for a period of time uh we're putting those screens in and in the bottom you can put on this is a part of this new uh, data program that we're running this is the the ticker feed on new new client or new customer acquisitions and so you can actually sort of promote that and Build awareness of, of of that change, and then kind of um, scale it out from there. So, um, but yeah, it, it is at the end of the day showcasing, demonstrating the value, um, and engaging engaging with other business teams so you can start to scale out other domains onto the mesh. Sure. So obviously, that first data product being delivered uh, is a key milestone in our roadmap. But but uh, Liz, now to you. One of the, the the phrases you mentioned, which I really liked and I think is crucial, is delivering with empathy. Um, so 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 when you think about so so we've got our first data product, we've you know been able to socialize it a bit. How do we build that empathy so we can actually grow and nurture data mesh, not just technically, but within our organization? How 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 did you do that at, at your organization? So a lot of what we are working through and, you know, and I say working through because one of the things in my mind that helps us to continue to lead with empathy is we're never done. We need, it's a continuous improvement and, you know, and everything is, is trying to figure out that right level and the right means of transparency and communication and engagement. I mean, not all people can be in all things at all times. So how do you, make it so that it's um, 
um, a way that others can be able to get to the information that they need when they need it at, at the appropriate amount of, of information. And one of our challenges that we've found is, is we've got lots of teams that are maturing in their, in their efforts. And if we aren't communicating how they're doing that, then often it becomes this challenge of, well, we didn't even know you were working on that. We were working on something else and now it's a conflict and everything. So that leading with empathy means, you know, trying to, you know, not be boastful about it, but making sure that you're tr- transparently communicating the things that you're working on to set those reasonable expectations that, that check and challenge, if you will. And, you know, try to balance making sure that it's a push of information and not just a pull when the people need it so that they're always aware of the things that are being being involved in and have the opportunity to comment in the event that it conflicts with something or is it is in line maybe not conflicts but isn't completely aligned to expectations uh, that other teams are working on or we're expecting that team to be working on especially in an environment where we are more and more and more remote in terms of how we're working with our ways of working and, you know, that type of communication, the hallway chatter goes away. So over communicate is one of our biggest things from a leading with empathy that we can uh, push on and it needs to be a push versus a pull. So, so I can't, uh, I, I can't state enough how important uh, Liz, what you're mentioning is, um, the whole idea around using uh, an empathetic approach to use that term to get the organization ready for change and and to be able to respect individuals' roles and, and identify where they can best contribute, I think is crucial. Now, Philip, on the on the technical side, we got our first we got our first data proc going. Uh, obviously, we're not going to stop there. Uh, there's maybe I've seen some of my clients now have uh, you know. 20 to 30 uh, data products actually out in their, in their uh, organization. So it never stops, stops at one and it may go, you know, for way, way into the future. But anytime I see that um, it begs for repeatable patterns. What are the, some of the, your thoughts around the repeatable patterns to grow uh, and nurture our data mesh, the, the ecosystem of data products most effectively and efficiently? Yeah, I, um, I think it's, it's a, it's sort of fundamental to, to why you embark on a data mesh journey is because you want to scale. Um, and, and it goes back to that thing about business domains want to go at different speeds um, and they don't want to be waiting for uh, some person or team of people in, in IT to when they when they have capacity. Um, and at times they want to go slow because they want to be very careful and other times they want to go fast and scale out. Um, and... Um, so it's really, there's a trick then in terms of, well, okay, how can I onboard more domains and then how can I build more data products within those domains? And there's a kind of two-headed um, approach to that. And so um, there comes a point, as I say, most people will be starting on with um, pretty much manually engineered data products. We'll, we'll assemble them with probably, maybe with some tooling support. But um, I think pretty soon we're going to start to see a transformation when we start to see data mesh, what I call a native data mesh platform, one that is is designed from the get-go with a capability to create data products and do the automated federated governance. Um, I think we'll we'll see a sudden um, 
acceleration in people's ability to scale out. Uh, at the moment, we still have to, um, you know, and a lot of what we do at ThoughtWorks is help people build out those platforms, you know, build on top of Databricks and Snowflake and all of the other kind of engineering tools. How do we build a data products experience on top of that? And how do we integrate the catalog and the governance piece around that? Um, uh, and so that, you know, that if you can build that API of, of onboarding uh, new domains, so, you know, adding them into the taxonomy, the business glossary, so that when data products are created, okay, it's in that domain, it's owned by this person. So there's a lot of kind of, you know, uh, engineering wrap around that um, enablement. Uh, but then uh, once you can do that repeatedly, then you can actually, you know, um, uh, you can spin, you know, certainly we, we do projects where spinning up a new data product from, an, from a capability point of view is a matter of minutes. You know, we'll do it in a demo with a, with a client. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I mean, obviously for, for the roadmap, um, obviously we talked about the first milestone being the very first data product, but, but there needs to be some incorporation of a plan to, to grow and scale using these repeatable patterns or processes that Phil has mentioned in our roadmap. So it's, it's actually crucial to, to plan ahead, if you will. Now, uh, I want to want to change the topic a little bit here, but I think it's, Liz, I'm going to ask you, because I think it's closer to your uh, discussion around your empathetic approach. But a, a pet peeve of mine, I suppose, uh, is rarely do I actually see in any roadmap a formal task around what I call socialization. Now, uh, I typically use socialization to find sponsors, right? It's a way of building momentum. I use it to communicate with executives, to drive communication activities like internal podcasts and schedule them, uh, and even sometimes for external communications. Now, I like to formalize this activity. That means there's actually a task on the, the roadmap for socialization, and there's real milestones, whether you're scheduling executive sessions, podcasts, or whatever the case may be. Um, so, so Liz, am I overthinking this? Uh, what do you think? Not at all. I think, I think that is, especially because we are often moving at the speed of light or so it feels and others would think we're not moving fast enough. I think those that, that embedding that as part of your culture is, in, is critical to the success. And again, you know, I go back to the comment that I just made where we've got more and more people that are not all co-located in the same location, hearing about it through the hallway chatter. Sometimes that means that you have to actually physically instantiate that as a behavior because otherwise it wouldn't get done. The, the, the water cooler chitter chatter, is it doesn't exist as much anymore. And so embedding within your leading with empathy culture means being you know, put it again, it goes back to, it needs to be a push, not a pull of that information. So having that change, change culture and what you call it. And, you know, I've, I've heard it called change management, which to me, having been a former uh, technologist on the, on the development side, like to me, change management is I deployed into production kind of thing, having that, that opportunity for that checkpoint, that pushing out of, of the, you know, process and the the progress of the initiatives making sure that that sales pitch going around to your point is incredibly important and it also does help to build that confidence to get those next use cases and to start layering in and and we're absolutely seeing that um, I've seen it at my at former institutions I'm seeing it here where 
people are using that as the opportunity to kind of go go around, talk about what successes we have had, where we're at, and what that could mean to them, or asking them how could we use this to improve their space. Perfect. Now, Phil, we're, we're running out of time in a minute or less. What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I think... Um... Uh, yeah, the the showcasing is a you know is always a big part of um, agile type programs, and and, and over communicating um, to, to to really walk through exactly okay so that's what that's what we mean in terms of the the process for for onboarding with a domain that's what it means to actually launch and support a data product with an SLO so yeah um, showcases um, we do a lot of you know, things like brown bag sessions to educate technical communities so yeah I'm, I'm very much and then and then you create a safe space so the next team the next domain can um, can comfortably onboard and start to deliver values with the same approach perfect so, Phil, thank you very much. Now, I'm just going to real quickly here wrap up. Uh, you've, you've heard a lot of things here, but let me kind of summarize what I think are key for, for anybody building a data mesh roadmap. Obviously, as Phil mentioned, start, and, and Liz echoed this, start with the, the North Star and the vision. Where do you actually want to go and why do you want to go? The value proposition. We know that that the data mesh then has a technical aspect, a technical stream of work, but also an organizational stream of work sometimes overlooked. Um, we've also heard that we want to start with our very first data product, celebrate success, and use that to build momentum uh, and hopefully grow our data mesh uh, through through a set of repeatable processes organizationally as well as technically. And then not last but not least, celebrate our successes in the socialization so we can continue on an ongoing basis to build uh, momentum on our journey. There we go. Hopefully you've learned a little bit along the way and are in a position to create a better enterprise data mesh roadmap. I'd again like to thank the panelists today, our facilitator, Eric Broda, an executive consultant in the financial services space and guest of episode 38, Liz Calloway, a data governance expert in the financial services space, a guest of episode 92, and Phil Radley, principal data and AI strategy consultant at ThoughtWorks. You can find a link to their LinkedIn's and Eric's Medium blog in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Panels really are my favorite. And no, it's not just because I don't have to do the hard work. I I swear. They give you a chance to hear from folks entirely devoid of my own views, which I think is crucial in our learning journey to figure out how to do data mesh well. Hopefully this one was super useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show almost all guests have said that they'd really love people to reach out. Data Mesh Radio is again provided by Data Mesh Understanding and is produced and usually hosted by, you know, except for these panels, by me, Scott Herleman. Do check out our website, datameshunderstanding.com for more information. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised by our offerings and some of the free programs out there. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And with that, let's hear that funky outro music. Mm -hmm.